Yes. I don't know if any of you are into archaeology or learning from the past, which is what archaeology is supposed to be all about. When I was at university, I did a unit of archaeology. I was really fascinated by it. And uh, I could have had the chance to go to the Holy Land to a dig, but I didn't have the funds. But fortunately, uh, just uh, a few years ago, I got over there and got to see some of the places that I might have seen many decades before if I'd gone on this uh, trip. And there I was at the city of David, uh, which uh, is right there beside the old city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is a city of two million people now, nothing like what it used to be. In fact, even when we get further through the Old Testament, we, we uh, appreciate a much bigger city than what it started with, the city of David, which is uh, the capital that he had, uh, the king of Israel who made Jerusalem his capital, started off with a very small place called the uh, city of David. And uh, these are photos that I'm showing you of uh, those ruins of uh, this old city. And there's another shot, uh, if you can show that one. Uh, these are dating back thousands of years, of course. In fact, uh, earlier this month, uh, I read with interest how they had found the remains of uh, a royal palace that was there. Just for the first time, they found these column, um, columns, the tops of these columns, I forget what they're called now, and they dated right back to that period. Um, but the thing is uh, that uh, we see these remains, but uh, what do we make of it all? That's the thing. But uh, we can make a connection to this uh, when, uh, if we see the next shot, there's a sign there, and it references a man by the name of Jeremiah. Who was Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a prophet that we read about, read about in the scriptures, and he preached to God's people. He told them about what God was like and what he wanted from them. And you might say, well, what is that of interest to me? Well, it is, I believe, of great interest to us because uh, the time in which Jeremiah lived has many parallels to our own. In fact, that's the fascinating thing about the scriptures. You read about things that go a long way back, but uh, what you're reading is telling us about our world right now, and uh, that is certainly the case. So what was similar to Jeremiah's world? Well, the political scene was changing, the international political scene uh, there was uh, God's people wedged between these two great superpowers, the uh, Assyrian Empire, the Egyptian Empire, and they were stuck in the middle. And so they sort of tried to appease both powers. And uh, then it looked like Assyria was um, uh, sort of withdrawing. It took over the northern kingdom, but uh, didn't quite make it with getting Jerusalem. And there's a story about that. And that was because the Babylonians were rising up. And uh, first, that seemed to be a great thing, and the kings of, of uh, Judah got excited about that. But then Babylon started to take over the Assyrian Empire, and they were getting closer, and it looked like, oh, no, we're going to have them here now too. So everything was changing. Remind you of uh, what's happening in our world? Yes, I'm sure it does. Then there was the shifts in the socioeconomic scene, and uh, after all this period of time that Jerusalem being the capital of uh, the nation, there was a real threat uh, to that place of imminent invasion, and with it would come the devastation. Uh, Jeremiah himself refers to it, a toxic mix of plague, sword, and famine. 
remind you of anything? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, here they were thinking, what's going to happen to our city? Jeremiah also warned of the temple's destruction, chapter 26, and the fact that it would no longer remain the focus of their religious activity as God's people. This was a temple that had been there for hundreds of years, the building that they went to to worship God. And uh, very soon it was all going to be obliterated. And if you go there to where the temple was, this is what you see, a wall. Well, actually, that's the remains of the second temple. But uh, for most of the time since, there's been no temple there. And uh, here you see a section where I was able to go. They have a male section and a female section, and there's still people praying there, but there's no building. And the other thing that the prophets indicated was that people of God were going to be forced to leave their home. They were going to have to go into exile. And they were going to find themselves in a place they had never known and in a world to which they were not accustomed to. And they perhaps would have felt like, this isn't worth living if I go live like this. And this is what uh, Jeremiah was uh, referring to. The thing is, uh, how, as we look at this story, I think it's easy to relate to it in the sense that in our COVID-19 world, we have the threat of disease, political and socioeconomic change, restrictions on our travel, religious discrimination, persecution. What does God have to say to us? Well, listen to what Jeremiah has to say, because that was a world that he was speaking into. So in a sense, we are just as much exiles as those people that he spoke to way back then who had already been shunted off to Babylon. And the interesting thing is, even though uh, Jeremiah was referring to something that was happening then, as we come across God's people later on in the scriptures, the mindset was still very much, we are in exile. In fact, that's what Jesus had to adopt, that kind of mindset. The incarnation is about being in exile, and he showed us how to live in that situation. And uh, his followers, uh, he taught them to embrace the fact, this is your world, this is your life, and uh, this is how you deal with it. In fact, uh, one of his followers, Peter, in his first letter, he even referred to us, God's people, as foreigners and exiles. And uh, he even says that we are the church in Babylon. Isn't that interesting, play on words? Because he was referring to God's people way back in the Old Testament and to, to understand that this is the way it is, that, uh, yes, we have uh, these governing powers seeking to control our lives. We don't like what they're doing. But we do not place our allegiance to them, but to a higher king, King Jesus. And uh, we trust in our ascended, risen Christ. <clears throat> so how do we navigate a path through this situation that we find ourselves in until we arrive at our real home. This isn't our real home. But it uh, doesn't mean we won't get there one day. How do we keep moving forward in the right direction despite the obstacles and the diversions? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 to 14, you might want to turn there because I'm going to reference this text. Here, we are guided... In fact, I want to point out some guideposts 
that keep us in the way of the exile, the way we need to be going, the way God wants us to go. And he gives us great insight for our progress. So these directions that he offers to us, they're not like uh, physical features, but they're spiritual principles that keep us on track. So what are they? There's three of them I want to highlight here. First, the first of these directions from Scripture is to serve where we are situated, which means that uh, we look at the opportunity that is still there before us and don't cage up our lives with fear, but consider the almost limitless possibilities that are still there, right there in front of us, that we can grasp hold of and uh, serve God. In fact, uh, there's another image I'd like to present here, and that is to bloom where we are planted. It might be a hard place, but that doesn't mean uh, that uh, you can't thrive there. We look at the first four verses in our text uh, there in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, starting verse 4. This is what he says. The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all those he sent into exile to Babylon from Jerusalem, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and allow your daughters to get married so that they too may have sons and daughters. Grow in number. Do not dwindle away. Work to see that the city where I sent you as exiles enjoys peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it, for as it prospers, you will prosper. The thing is, we can really engage in self-sabotage through self-pity. Now, what I'm saying there is that we make choices in our lives that uh, makes us our own worst enemy in the sense that uh, we look at our world and say how awful it is. And then we make it worse by feeling sorry for ourselves. And we think, I was born at the wrong time, in the wrong place. I had the wrong parents. I had the wrong children. Well, not everyone here has children, of course. <laughs> but... You get my drift. It's, it's, there's something to blame, something outside of ourselves to blame. This is, this is a great game that people play. They're always looking for someone or something to blame. And that's why it's so awful. Rick Warren once said, life is like a game of poker. You have to play the hand you're dealt. He goes on to say, a wise player can play a weak hand and win the game. Yeah, you can still win. You can win like you've, you know, you, we were living in the best of times. You can still win. Look at what uh, Jeremiah says. All of uh, the instructions there are outward focused verbs. He says, build, plant, marry, multiply, grow, work, pray. He's not saying, oh, it's just awful and just feel sorry for yourself. He said, get on with it, do what you can. Are these the values that we, by which we live our lives? All of those principles are hope-filled. You get that? He, he's saying, there's hope. So, so don't act like there isn't. This is what you need to do. And he's suggesting that risk will be rewarded. You get on with it. You do what you can. And then he goes on to say to them, you really need to accept things as they are. Because it may not get any better. In fact, it may get worse. Actually, earlier on, Jeremiah, I didn't have this in my message, but he said, if you can't keep up with the footmen, how are you going to cope with the, horse, you know, with the horses and run with them? 
Don't think that this is as bad as it's going to get. But that, that's not the problem. The problem is what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? We need to accept the way it is. I don't know if you like chicken soup for the soul, but in the original one, it had this great um, little statement. For me to be more, cre more creative, I am waiting for inspiration, permission, reassurance, the coffee to be ready. I got my coffee when I got here, so I'm fine. My turn. Someone to smooth the way, the rest of the rules, someone to change, wider fairways, revenge, the stakes to be lower, more time, a significant relationship to improve, terminate, happen, the right person, a disaster, well, you got that one, time to almost run out, an obvious scapegoat, the kids to leave home, a Dow Jones of 1500, well, it got... Well past that, hasn't it? <laughs> it's going down again. The line to lie down with the lamb, mutual consent, a better time, a more favourable horoscope. I hope you're not waiting for that. My youth to return. We can still make our life a gift to others. That's what we're here for. To serve. Serve God. Bring glory to him, even in this situation, whatever it's like. Anyway. The second of these guideposts indicated in our text tells us to tell ourselves the truth and not listen to lies because we're very gullible and we're very easy to listen to the things that we shouldn't be. We need to check our thinking and look at what we're filling our minds with because that will have a huge impact on our life. Jeremiah says in verses 8 and 9 of 29, he says, Do not let the prophets among you or those who claim to be able to predict the future by divination deceive you. And do not pay any attention to the dreams that you are encouraging them to dream. Don't just blame them. You do it yourself. You want them to tell you these things. They are prophesying lies to you and claiming my authority to do so. But I did not send them. And what's he talking about? Well, the fact is, Jeremiah was not the only prophet around that time. He was a lonely prophet. <laughs> because he didn't have anyone else backing him up. He was by himself. He had all these rival prophets coming out saying other things. And uh, one of the things that was coming through was, oh, in two years, everything will go back to normal. <laughs> this hardship, just, you know, just hang in there. It's not going to be too long. It's going to finish. It was wishful thinking. You know, it was tickling, itching ears. That's what it was. It was telling people what they wanted to hear. You know, it's very easy to live in denial in regards to the reality of a situation and uh, to entertain distorted, even irrational ideas uh, that uh, are in line with what we want to think, what suits us. So what's he talking about here? I think he identifies the lies that other people tell us and the lies we tell ourselves. And they are two different things. So uh, what we've got here, first we've got propaganda. All right, this kind of stinking thinking, propaganda. What others tell us, and it can be quite deliberate, or it can be their own delusion, and they're telling us what they think we should believe. Now, the media, all media is doing this. You've got to believe it. In some way, they're all doing it in various forms because they have vested interest in you believing what they have to say, at least to some extent. And... Uh, the thing is, uh, it's about some people benefiting at the expense of other people. And we can very much be caught up in, in that kind of thing. The thing is that we've got to be very careful 
not to label people and actually think, well, just because they're associated with some particular group of people, everything they say is evil or everything they say is good. Because there aren't any perfect people and uh, people will tell us things that they think are true which may not be the case. As uh, Yale Eisenstadt, former CIA analyst and diplomat, said recently in a TED talk, lies are more engaging online than truth. Notice that? As long as the social media's algorithm's goals are to keep us engaged, they will feed us the poison that plays to our worst instincts and human weaknesses. So we have to be very careful about this, the propaganda. The other one is our own cognitive bias. And that's not what other people are telling us, it's what we are telling ourselves. It's this skewed perspective that, we take, that we've taken on board over a period of time based on the things we've learned, the things that we've experienced, and uh, it gets to a point that we are just too ready to shut out any facts that uh, contradict that uh, kind of thinking that's become established in our minds. We develop these blind spots. We don't see things, maybe because we don't want to see those things or we can't understand those things, and so we shut it out and uh, only want to entertain thoughts that confirm with what we've already come to accept. These are big dangers for us, and uh, it results in us believing lies. So what is the remedy to that? We've got to open ourselves to what God has to teach us. That's our only safe place to find truth. And I don't just say go to the Bible, but we need to learn how to soundly interpret the Scriptures because you can easily get Scripture and make it mean what you want it to mean. And you're not being honest. Or maybe you don't have the skills to really work out what uh, is a sound interpretation. The Book of Common Prayer warns about the world, the flesh, and the devil, and how they can easily deceive us. And how do we uh, uh, guard against that kind of deceit? Well, the only way to distinguish what is counterfeit from the truth is through our familiarity with God's Word. That's our only safe place. This is what Jeremiah said. Wise people should not boast that they are wise, Powerful people should not boast that they are powerful. Rich people should not boast that they are rich. If you want to boast, boast about this, that you understand and know me. This is what God's saying. Boast that, uh, they should boast that they know and understand that I, the Lord, act out of faithfulness, fairness and justice in the earth and that I desire people to do these things. So the only way that a person can measure success in their life is uh, by knowing God. And the way we know God is uh, we get into his word and we live it out because that's the reality of it. We don't really know it until we do it. And so that's uh, what's needed. The third of these guideposts indicated in their text directs us to reach for our response of God. And the thing is, uh, some might say, what is going on in our world? Is it judgment? You better believe it's judgment. Now, I'm not saying it's because of this government or that person or that or this. But there's been a lot of sin in our world for thousands of years. And so the whole world is affected by sin. And so, we, yes, we are under judgment. And uh, we are in a real mess. But the Bible doesn't leave it like that. It gives us a way out of that mess. And uh, here the attention is directed to one real instruction, that is to pray. 
All right. So this is the thing that needs to happen with our faith. Coming to work out what is our God like? Is he a rigid God? Is he a removed God? Is he ridiculous? Someone that we cannot figure out? What the scriptures highlight very well, and particularly here, is that our God is a responsive God. That if you go to him, he will go to you. That's what it's saying here. He loves and cares for us. And what is he waiting for? He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to go to him. This is what the scriptures say. It doesn't say if, it says when. It's, it's a promise that's just dependent on us. He says, when you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. When you seek me in prayer and worship, you will find me available to you. If you seek me with all your heart and soul, I will make myself available to you, says the Lord. Then I'll reverse your plight and I'll regather you from all the nations, all the places where I've exiled you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I exiled you. This is verse 12 to 14. You know, if this uh, COVID-19 has taught us anything, and this is the lesson I've been trying to work out, what is this all about? What do you want me to learn, God? I think the thing that is highlighted more than anything is that we don't have control. We might have thought we, we could control things and do this and the human race has become very smart and uh, technological and been able to work some things and make things better, do all these things and yet something like this comes along and just sweeps us off our feet and we're a mess. You know, who would have thought that something like this was going to happen in 2020? No one imagined it. Oh, yeah, they said, oh, this and that. There were the great movies out there that were sort of predicting this, but no one really believed it, did they? Did you? I didn't. No one really thought it was going to get like this. What it's showing us, I think, is whatever we might have thought about how self-sufficient we were without God, this has proven perhaps more than anything that we weren't in control and that we need God. So what are we going to do about it? The thing that's uh, highlighted here is that we need to take a different view to prayer. Because I think even for believers, we get very carried away with all of our religious activities. And uh, it's sort of like, it's like our side to our mains. We're living our life, we're trying to be smart, work hard, and trying to get it all fixed by our own human effort. And we do a bit of praying because as good Christians we should do that rather than reversing the whole thing and making prayer and dependence on God, the real life that we're living, and then trusting him to help us with everything. Have a look at uh, what the instructions are, the particular instructions. Four really stand out. Call, seek, pray, and find. Now, these are English words. If we go to the original um, Hebrew words that are used in the text here, the interesting thing is, that uh, they're not just uh, giving us the idea of uh, actions that we need to do. It's also talking about things that happen to us. They're not just active verbs. And so we look at the, uh, the breadth and depth of the meaning of these words, and what we end up finding is that it's not just talking about our calling, but our being called. Not just our seeking, but our being sought. Not just our praying, but our being prayed for. Not our finding God, but our being found by him. So what the text 
really is saying is this, and uh, I put a little summary there together. When we passionately seek after, engage with God in prayer, willingly abandoning all selfish attachments that hinder that, we won't get to him so much as we will let him get to us. That's the point that's being made here. This is what Jeremiah was trying to tell them, that uh, you need to understand that you can put yourself in a place where God comes to help you. So why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? He's chasing us down, this God of ours. And I think this explains why so many believers find themselves in a state of spiritual exhaustion. Because really they're running from God. And he's saying, let me catch you. Let me have what I want with you. Let me find you as I want you to be found. A.W. Tozer. The most famous quote of his in my mind is this, he waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us he waits so long, so very long, in vain. I want us just to not just think about what I'm saying, but think about ourselves. How does this apply to me? How does it apply to all of us here today? I think the thing is we can waste a lot of time going nowhere. And uh, perhaps... Like uh, myself, I've had, I found myself slowing down because before the uh, COVID-19, I had you know, five lifetimes of work still ahead of me and I thought I'd just better keep going faster and faster until I can get a little bit of it done. And then it it's all comes to a, 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 a sharp halt and I'm stuck, stuck here <laughs> with you. <laughs> Not that that's so bad, but uh, I'm just saying... <laughs> Well, some people feel a bit like that. Oh, I can't get out of where I am. I'm stuck here. God's plan is restoration. This is the most famous part of the passage, probably one you know. For I know that I have planned what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. There's the key word, hope. There's hope. There's hope for us. And we have a hope that no one who doesn't know Christ understands. And this is our time, our time to share that hope. Because there are people who are ready for it who've never been really at that place before. So it's not such a bad thing, what's going on in our world. How is God's plan fulfilled? Here's some guideposts. Serve where you are situated. Tell yourself the truth. Reach for your response of God. And who will enable us to do this? Well, Jeremiah told us that too. Chapter 23, he says, I, the Lord, promise that a new time will certainly come when I'll raise up for them a righteous branch, a descendant of David. He will rule over them with wisdom and understanding and will do what is just and right in the land. And under his rule, Judah will enjoy safety and Israel will live in security this is the name he will go by. The Lord has provided us with justice. Jeremiah was talking about Jesus. And Jesus has come. He is not someone that we're looking forward to. He's already come for us and he's coming again. And uh, he has provided uh, through his sacrifice a pardon for our sin and through his resurrection eternal life, which has already started for those who have Christ in them through his spirit. And so this is the wonderful joy that is ours that uh, we have a real hope and we should uh, live our life in line with that reality. 
not in fear, but with hope. I just want to uh, finish now with the slideshow, another one, and it shows you some of the uh, sunset scenes that you've already seen, but there's a song that goes along with it. Because uh, where I live, it's called Still Waters, and uh, we often see the harbour so still there, even though there's rough seas all around the Solomons many times. And uh, it's a great image of how God can bring us peace in the midst of our storm. But I want you just to listen to this, and then I'm going to pass over to the uh, worship team to finish our service. Thank you.
Father, we look to you as our hope. And the hope is in Jesus. He is the one who promises us uh, through his own resurrection, eternal life. And we just thank you that uh, we are able to follow in his footsteps. He's gone this path already. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Help us, Lord, to live with that joy and to realize this is our moment that you've allowed us to live through so that uh, we may serve you. May you be glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.